are kind of manly. <laughs> All right, welcome to the Bar None on One podcast. Today's episode is featuring our good buddy Aaron Mead. How you hey, doing, brother? I'm doing great, Jake. How are you? I'm pretty good. So tell us about yourself. My name's Aaron. I am 29 years old. I am a recovering alcoholic who still loves to party. I DJ, I produce music, and I've got some awesome friends. One of them being this guy that brought me on this podcast here. That's very nice of you. <laughs> That's nice of you, man. I didn't know you uh, you produce as well. Yeah, I actually, so I started off producing music, and I didn't even know that's what I was doing when I was, uh, I think, 12 or 13 years old. I found a copy of Fruity Loops, and I was like, oh, cool, you can make sounds just by, like, drawing and clicking on these little these little squares, and then it runs through, and it makes noises where you trigger them, and I was like, oh, this is fun, so I messed around with that for a long time, and I was in bands at the time, so integrated it into what we were doing with the band, so, like, when you're a kid, finding the drum is the hardest thing in the world, because nobody wants to buy their kids' drums. Like, that's the last thing a parent wants to have in their house in the first place, little less have a teenage kid learning how to play them. Mm. So, drums are hard to come by when you're starting a band. If you've ever started a band out there, you probably know this. So, anyway found a way that I could like make these drum patterns and stuff like that and then we could still jam because we had a couple guitars we had a couple bassists but before we got to the point of having uh, a full-time drummer we could do that and I didn't realize you know I'm sitting there writing these music composing composing these songs and bringing other people in to perform them with me so that I can get it recorded turns out that's what producing music is and uh I did that so for us yeah and it's it's fun and I I just loved it and I it at the time, it was just something fun that I did because, like, I wasn't, I was, you know, a chubby little middle school kid. Like, I had friends, but they weren't, like, the cool friends, but I didn't really care too much about that. I just really, really liked music, so all I wanted to do was play music, and I found this way to do it, and then, you know, had a huge phase with that when I was younger, and um, later in life, picked it back up in college, because it turned into something that was cool. One of my buddies was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to become a producer, and he pulled up a copy Fruit Loops, I was like, hey, I know how to run this software. And he was like, oh, really? And then after that, I was like, dude, I want to get back into this. This is a, a big, it was a huge part of my life, and it made me really, really happy to do. Because it's just creating something. Anybody that's creative out there, you know, it doesn't have to be amazing to enjoy doing it. You know, and that's that's the beauty. And so I started doing that. And then realized, you know, later on that I wanted to start DJing, and then I can I can kind of tie these skills back into it. So these beats I was making in college and stuff like that, I started turning into these EDM songs and these hip-hop, these real hip-hop beats and getting people to record on them. And that's something that I kind of ran along and I still sneak them into my sets all the time and just don't tell people that I'm playing my own stuff. And uh, yeah, but that evolved into eventually DJing because I loved the performance aspect of it just as much. So once DJing came around, that was... That was the like, oh my God, I could do this and I could make money doing it. And then it was an, oh my God, I don't have to do anything else but this if I do it good enough. So that's kind of that's kind of how I got started with DJing and producing. But a lot of people didn't know I produced until, you know, they would sit down and talk to me and be like, oh yeah, well I made this. And they'd be like, oh cool, can you show me how to do that? And it's something that a lot of people are afraid to do because they think, oh, like I got to learn this big scary computer program. I'm going to make a song and it's going to suck, which means I'm just going to suck. And it's like, no, the majority of the stuff you make sucks. Yeah. Vast majority. It's just like anything else out there. The majority of the things you do, like creatively, 
aren't going to be the best. And if everything you made was great, then you would be, you know, a Picasso or something like that. But it, it's about having fun with it. And I think that's where it tied into DJing and got really fun. You know? Yeah, it's just because you, you do something that sucks doesn't mean that you suck. Right. You know, sort of like um, I tie it into people thinking that their emotions are who they are. Right. Just because you're experiencing anxiety does not mean that you are an anxious person. Right. Because you're experiencing anger, just, you know, that doesn't mean that you are an angry person. That's just this sort of wave that's coming through you at the moment. Right. I think a lot of people think of themselves as their emotions. Um, I've been trying to, because you know, we all obviously experience emotions, I do yeah. as well. Uh, but when those emotions come up, I try to keep that in mind and it sort of separates yeah it, it's sort of like I'm looking at myself in that sense mm-hmm. you know I, I it's like I, I try to imagine if I'm watching myself in that sense in that moment and then realize okay well, that's not actually who I am that's just maybe just the, the pers- persona that I'm projecting in that moment yeah, absolutely I think uh, I think you know tying back to that letting letting your emotions dictate you it's it's almost a dangerous route because, you know, there's a lot of girls out there that with their boyfriends, for instance, will see something happen and then they'll react to it a certain way because they let emotion take control. Well, a lot of people will then think, oh, well, I'm crazy and I'm going to be this crazy girl. And, well, maybe it just turns out this dude was just being dumb and you reacted to it appropriately, but that doesn't define you and who you are. It's, it's where you go after that that makes a difference. Otherwise, we'd all be lunatics, you know? Yeah. We'd all be mad. We'd all be crazy. We'd all be anxiety-ridden people. But it's once you can separate the the feeling from the scenario itself and realize, hey, this caused this. This isn't who I am. It, it's a beautiful thing. Even being hungry. Yeah, you don't get hungry and say, oh, now I'm the hungriest guy in the world. Or, <laughs> yeah. Like I've been hungry twice today, so I think I'm just gonna turn into a giant slob if I keep eating. It's, no, it, it happens. Yeah. When I, apparently when I was a baby, I don't remember this, but I was told that when I was a baby, the only times I would cry is if I was hungry. Yeah. So like it was super easy. They were like, oh, Jake's crying. He's hungry. Or if they were like taking too long between the spoonfuls, I would start crying. <laughs> and I don't consider myself a, a particularly grumpy person. That being said, you can ask, <laughs> you can ask any of my friends or family or anyone that I've dated when I am hungry. That's when I start getting that way, and I don't realize till like way later. Like the smallest things will piss me off, but it's like I'm not a pissed off person. It's just I'm hungry, and then as soon as I like get the first bite of me, I like. Amen. That separation itself it's crucial. Being able to separate emotion from from anything, I think, will help just about anybody out there. Oh yeah. Yeah, I love how we started <laughs> on a tangent, not even related to the bar industry, just right off. And we can tie. We can tie it in. Probably be a few of those going we'll on there. throughout the night. Oh, right, we could tie it in. I mean, when you're under the influence, right? You're not exactly. Really cool. But we will get to that. Um, so you produce, you DJ. Um, so, you know, when you're DJing, is it mostly shows? Is it mostly clubs, parties? What is it? Um, it's, so I've gone through some phases. I When I started off DJing, I wanted to, I, I had this kind of, I would almost call them delusions of grandeur that I could be this, you know, amazing guy right off the bat and play the biggest shows because the first gig I ever got was opening up for Borgor. It was a sold out show, an old rock house. And I was just like, 
this is how it's always going to be, so I'm only going to play these. And then to kind of fuel that fire, the next show I got was another sold-out show for the Chainsmokers. Jesus and Christ. it just turned out that I happened to have a really good connection. <laughs> you know, it's like nobody's ever heard you spin before. That You're not getting these because you're awesome. You're getting these because you know somebody. And I'd be like, nah. The more and more I looked at it. And so at first I only played, um, you know, these big events that you would see at, you know, Old Rock House or Rise or um, Pageant or Europe Nightclub or anything like that. These are uh, clubs in St. Louis. If there's anyone listening that isn't in the St. Louis area. Yeah, sorry. I meant to mention these are all local places. But so they're they're venues, essentially. They're not bars. So um, I, I, with the production background, I was like, I want to stick to being, you know, an EDM DJ and a DJ producer that plays artistic sets only. And then the more and more I got into it, it turned into, well, you know, I'd like to do this full time, but I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to make some sacrifices here and take some other gigs that I might not necessarily, not that I didn't want to play them. They just weren't the ones that I was aspiring to play. So, um, once the opportunity started arising, like, Hey, you could spin at our bar or our nightclub and do sort of a, sort of an open format set, which is, for anybody listening that doesn't know what that is, that's going to be one of the sets that you'll hear anything from hip-hop to uh, popular dance songs to popular, possibly even rock songs and stuff like that. And that was never something that I had set out to do, but then the more and more it came around, I was like, yeah, well, you know, I think I could do this if that means that I can just keep DJing for a living, then yeah, I'll do that. I'm completely open to that. And then for a while there, I started picking up these bar gigs and these little club gigs and stuff like that and just ran with it and then you know if a big artist type set came out or a big opportunity to play a venue where it gets to play more of an artistic set I would jump on it immediately but eventually kind of find some ba- found some balance there so I'd say I almost did more of the nightclub and bar type stuff just because there's more there's more opportunities for it there's not a massive show every week you know yeah but got bills to pay. exactly and the bars are open six nights a week if not seven mm. so they're always going to need somebody presenting music it's so funny they, it's funny that you say like six uh if not seven nights a week because i cannot stand uh how many bars and restaurants are closed on mondays right like I, it's, it's going out to eat or going out to grab a drink somewhere is so difficult on a Monday. saturday man <laughs> man it's it's crazy i mean so running a bar you know mondays you know one of our Slower days, not that my bar has many slow days um, in general. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quick, quick, humble flex. Um, but, you know, if, yeah, you want to go out, you know, grab a drink somewhere, it's one of the slowest days, go out, get some food. I mean, half of them in, you know, in the city at least um, are closed. A city yeah. like San Diego, very much less so. Yeah. Like, I don't think, shit, I, I didn't even really think about bars being closed any day of the week. I didn't even think that was even a thing. So I moved to this city. It was like half of them were closed. Yeah. So I'm like, shit, like it, it's so hard to, to figure out. But if you run a bar or you bartend somewhere on Mondays, that's just an even bigger opportunity right. to make money, get people in the door if you're bartending, to get your regulars in um, since, you know, where the hell else are they going to go? Exactly. And I mean, I think that's, there's a couple things I think personally that play into that. And it's that, Monday is going to be the first time that these people have an opportunity to go out and do something. The industry people is who I'm referencing here. And, you know, they've been working Wednesday, if not Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, 
Sunday if they're bartending. So Monday comes around and it's that day off. People are ready to be off. But then you also see these big kind of industry things going on. Like you guys do the Monday night industry parties, mm. you know? And in people that work in the industry will usually jump on that because not only do we like to support each other, but we like to see the people that work similar jobs to us because they're similar people. That's where you find friends. Yeah, outgoing sort of in your face in a way people that aren't afraid to start a conversation. Right. Aren't afraid to sort you know, ask you about your day and yeah, it's it's interesting the the type of people that are just attracted to this industry in a broad sense. Oh, yeah. When it comes to whether it's a security guard, bartender, DJ, um, you know, even our like Uber regulars. Yeah. People that come in all the time, I'm like, I'm surprised you don't work in a bar if you don't. Mm-hmm. It's that same sort of outgoing, extroverted right. personality. And I think I think there's a level of comfort to that for the people that do work in those positions because you know, and not to make this a bigger, bigger, broader idea than it needs to be, but people, everybody has dreams, everybody has aspirations, everybody has things they want to do. So a lot of times you find yourself in this intermediary position in life where you're transitioning possibly from school to the working force, or um, you just got done with a corporate job and you're not sure what you want to do next. So you start working at a bar or something like that. And if you're the type of person that's willing to go out into that, you're also probably going to be the type of person that's like, wait, you know, this is a second that I can take to really think what's my next step going to be. And usually those type of people tend to be the most fun people out there too, because they're not, they're not scared. They're not, they're not afraid to go meet people, but they're also probably not going to be afraid to go get something that they want. And I think that's one of the reasons that we find so many interesting people, you know, within our industry scene here. And I, I, I would like to think that that would go on just about anywhere else that you would go in the nation. So it's, it's definitely fun to see. Yeah. I mean, I've found it, having lived in <coughs> four different cities uh, in a span of five years, it's all the same. Yeah. You know, every city has its own unique aspects to it. Every city has its own market and sort of things that work in one city don't work as well in another city in terms of, you know, just drinks or even how drinks are made or the kind of music that's played. Um, the kind of promo that works better. You know, there's these little uh, facets that are different, but the people are the same. Because people are people, are people right? right? Whether you're a person here, a person in India or South America, at the base, people are people. Um, so it's that same personality. You know, I've never been to a city where all the bartenders are all just, you know, quiet and biting right. their nails <laughs> in the corner, super nervous. Like, what the... I'm a mixologist. Yeah. <laughs> I think mixology is great, but you know you gotta have a sense of humility. Totally with it. agree. But uh, yeah, I mean it's that same personality. I like how you you brought up the aspect of you know the intermittent side of things. You know, because yeah. it is a lot of that that in between time. Because in terms of skill set, to you know if you're gonna be to start as a server, you know mm-hmm. for instance, where a lot of people do, where I started um, in the bar and restaurant industry, to start as a server, you just need to have a good Right. Like you, if you have that, if there are even some servers out there that don't have that good personalities, <laughs> but to be good at it, you know, you have to have a good personality, but you can learn everything else, everything else about it in terms of the booze, the food, steps of service, the flow, everything like that. You can learn that, uh, but you can't teach the personality, oh, no. which is something I tell people a lot. I'm like, all right, well, if you fail at these things, but you've got a great personality and you work hard, it's like, I, I can help you. You've still got a shot. Yeah. And it's interesting to see this on... I would almost call it like a like a Peter Pan complex, and it's not that 
that people are scared to grow up in these industries because that, you know, is definitely not the case with a lot of the people that you see working in. I'm like, you, for instance, work God knows how many hours a week and, you know, we're still sitting here doing this as an extra thing. But, like, you would, I would never go as far to say, like, you're scared to grow up because you are grown up. You know, you are matured. You are grown into your life. And I think a lot of people will sometimes look at, from an outside standpoint, see people that are working in this industry and be like, oh, they're just scared to move on with their lives. or They're just scared to do this. When in fact, it is. Because a lot of the times, the people that are looking in saying, oh, they're just scared to move on with their lives. Those people are actually just scared to take a break and see what the hell would happen if they walked away from their nine to five. Mm. You know? And it's really interesting once you kind of realize, like, that that fear could drive somebody to create this thing because it will then relate back to the way you see people even talking to bartenders or talking to servers and stuff like that as if, oh, you're in this job because you have to be. They don't realize a lot of people are there because they want to be. Yeah, it's fun. It's good money. It's immediate money. It's immediate cash. Mm -hmm. And It's like afraid to grow up. It's like when I think of like, you know, oh, you're in the bar and restaurant industry because you're afraid to grow up. It's like I was more afraid to go into like an office space. Exactly. Like like the movie. Like that was always mm-hmm. my biggest fear. And uh, we were speaking earlier and I worked in a job similar to that, which I was just miserable. Right. And my favorite part of every day was taking a shit. <laughs> I would take two shits per day. And it was like I would look forward to my eleven AM shit. Like fucking yes. Mm-hmm. You know, to take my time in there, chill <laughs> chill out, go on Instagram, hang out, uh, and then, you know, my two thirty, whatever it was, booth as well. That's what I was afraid of. Yeah. And that's what I never wanted to get into. And that's why I got into the industry and, you know, it just worked out very well for me. I had great mentors. I had good potential that they uh, brought out. And, you know, I made what is now a career out of it, which has given me the opportunity to do something like this, meet people like you, as well as DJ myself, and, you know, these yeah, other opportunities. Yeah, exactly. And you can build on all of it. And that's, that's the coolest part is, you know, just to think, Hey, taking a break and saying, I don't need to do this right now. I don't need to follow the social norm. I don't need to get back on that hamster wheel, you know, or get back into the rat race. I can take a break from it and set back and actually make about the same amount of money as I was at this 9 to 5, if not even more. And just kind of chill and be around people that you actually want to be. I think it gives a lot of people a second to stop and think of what they actually want to do in life. You know, because nobody wants to be in that job. You know, I was talking to myself about, before we started this, I had a job that I hated. Oh, like office space, yeah. like bullshitty job. And I hated it. But Not it, that every corporate job is bullshit. Right, But right. if you're miserable, Not by any means. it's bullshit. Right. There's plenty, there's plenty of corporate jobs out there that will make you extremely happy, extremely fulfilling. I mean, you can get everything you want out of life from a corporate job. But there are a lot of times when you'll start to let money run your life and you'll say... Like, personally, I was in a job that I hated, I couldn't stand. I would just have anxiety attacks Sunday afternoons every Sunday, knowing I got to go to do this thing I hate for the next five days. The Sunday but scaries? Is that what they call it? The Sunday scaries. <laughs> the Sunday scaries. Like, we just amazing. get fucked up today. So. And, it, and it even wouldn't be from, it sometimes wouldn't even be from a come down because I was trying to escape the reality they had created for myself. But hey, I was making enough money, so it was okay. Mm. It's no, you can't let everything, you can't let money dictate anything in your life for that matter. Maybe how how much you pay for rent, because let's be real, you don't want to get evicted. Yeah. But it when you start to let 
that control what you're doing, I think that's when you end up being one of those people that then turns around and looks at bartenders and servers and goes, oh, well, there's a fucking asshole, or this person, they probably didn't go to school, or this person, you know, they look down on people in the industry, and I think that's where that essentially comes from, is they are that person that let money dictate. They are that person that said, well, I'm just going to do this because it's safe. I'm going to take the path of least resistance here. I'm going to I'm just going to go for the safe thing because then I know I'll be okay. And I think that's another reason that we see such cool people in the industry is because we get the people that weren't scared to say, fuck it. I hate this. I hate this job at Wells Fargo, not to bash Wells Fargo or anything like that because I know a few people that work there that are happy with it. But I, I hate this job at Wells Fargo, but I'm going to keep doing it because I have to. And, you know, I think that's where that resentment comes from, essentially from those people, but, you know, teach their own. If you want to be that guy, go be that guy. And same thing if you're, if you are, you know, DJing in bars or you're bartending, doing security, working in the kitchen and you're miserable, make a change. Don't be afraid of it. Right. Because it's not like everyone in our industry is supremely happy with what they're doing. Like oh, there yeah. are people that are unhappy everywhere. So whether you're working at Wells Fargo or you're working in a bar, if you're miserable, make a change. Yeah. Right? And, yeah, just to tie back, it, it all goes back to that path of, least res- path of least resistance. You know, it it's so easy to go for the safe route. And it, it seems so hard to go for the tougher thing. But a lot of times when you go for that tougher thing, you find that life gets a lot easier. Yeah. You know, and you get comfortable being uncomfortable. The second you're comfortable being uncomfortable, the sky's the limit. No matter what you're doing. Whether you're serving, bartending, crunching numbers for a living, or selling stocks, it once you're comfortable being uncomfortable, I think you can be just about anything. And I think that's a great quality that we find in a lot of our bartenders and servers and stuff like that. Because they have to sit there and hold conversations with complete strangers all day, every day. DJs, you got to step up. I mean, granted, there's a lot of guys that will get a little liquored up for the confidence to do it. But even then, that's not going to provide you enough confidence to do everything you want and stay focused and stay on track to control a night's worth of music or whatever. So it's... It's a beautiful thing to see a lot of these people in the industry because they just, they're truly not afraid and they don't, they're not wrapped up in what people are going to think about them or what people are going to say if they crack a certain joke when they walk in. And I think that's what creates these, these cool souls in this industry. And then once you get a lot of them together, it's just a melting pot of, of fun people. And I think that drives the nightlife in every every other city. I think I also just went really deep with it. Sorry. <laughs> kind of spaced out a little bit there, but. And I remember uh, my, my mom hit me up. If you're mis- listening, mom, I love you. Uh, but she asked me a few years ago, um, you know, when I was going to, you know, when are you, when are you no longer going to work in that industry? Because I think I had told her a story, something that had happened at work. I, I can't remember what it was, but it was a stressful scenario. And instantly her mom instincts, her protective instincts came up. Mm-hmm. She said, well, when are you no longer going to work in that industry? I'm like, well, I was managing at the time too, so... I was like, well, it's a job where I'm learning how to be a leader, learning how to lead people, I'm learning how to run a business, I'm making good money, I'm having fun, I'm meeting interesting people. I was in one of the most beautiful cities in the world, San Diego. That job allowed me to stay in that city. So yeah, Wales Vagina, yeah. Um, You know, it's like probably not for a long time because I'm fulfilled and you know I'm finding Mm -hmm. meaning in, in what I do. So you don't drink. Correct. 
Is it because you hate mixologists like we recently found yes, out? Yes, I, I just have this fiery passion for guys with twirly mustaches and it's to the point where now I'm getting people to not drink just so we can make sure that those guys are unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't drink because uh, I, I love alcohol a little bit too much, actually. I, I've got a bit of a drinking problem, recovering alcoholic. I, you know, I've been battling some issues throughout my entire life for the longest time. I thought I had these massive issues with depression or massive, massive issues with anxiety or social anxiety and all these other things. And then, you know, you get a couple of drinks and you all of a sudden you're a totally different person. But the more and more I kept running into the same walls and going by the definition of insanity, um, you know, repeating the same things, expecting different outcomes, you know, that's the true definition of insanity. And the, the more and more I did that, the more and more I started realizing there was one common factor in there and that was drinking. You know, whether or not drugs were involved or whether or not they weren't or whether or not I was properly medicated for these issues that I thought I had, um, there was still that underlying factor of the more drinking was present, the more problems existed in my life. So I, I hit a point uh, a little over nine months ago, go me. Yeah, that's nine months sober for anybody listening. Quick flex. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, so I, I hit a point where... I was like, this This has to change. I, I don't want to be removed from my own gigs because I'm having a weird withdrawal symptom, but that's a story for a different time. Unless we want to tell that one today. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Blue Moon? The, the, yeah, the Blue Moon party in Ballpark Village. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't want to keep going down that path, but the thing that I think kept me, and I think this is the part that can help most people, is the thing that kept me from wanting to get sober and wanting to stop drinking what held me back from that was I was scared that if I gave up drinking if I got sober if I quit you know taking pills to make myself feel a little bit better if I quit doing these things that were addressing these issues that I thought I had then I would never go out again I want to have friends like what you know what when am I going to go hang out with my homies? You know, I haven't, it's been since college that I've just hit up a buddy and been like, Hey dude, can I come over and watch TV? You know? So once we get into our adult lives where we're so wrapped up in this and not necessarily to put a bad connotation in that being wrapped up in this, but we, we get caught up in the idea that we only see each other socially when we're drinking and stuff like that. And that may be the case. And the fact of the matter is social or alcohol is an amazing social lubricant, you know, few shots with anybody and they're going to start speaking a little bit differently but I was so scared that if I quit drinking I would never have fun again it's going to be all work I'm going to have to hang out with people at AA meetings just to find people that are normal or not even I guess normal would even be the right word there I would have to find people in meetings just to get somewhere to hang out with and I wouldn't be able to see my old friends and uh, all everything that I'd done up until this point once I stopped drinking would just be void and that wasn't the case you know I it, it's hard getting over that mental hump of going out sober and a lot of people don't like doing it a lot of people love doing it so you know props to either side whichever one fits you go for it but when it comes down to it going out and having fun is about just that and it's 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 about going out and having fun so that's what it is before all the right. all the alcohol, the James, whatever it may be. It's, yeah, it's hanging out with your friends, meeting new people. That's what it is. Sharing love. 
Definitely. And I mean, you look back and you think, how, how could I ever do this? And then, you know, you could, or how could I ever go out without, you know, having a few drinks? And, you know, luckily I've, I've had an amazing, super supportive girlfriend throughout this, but I'm sure if I was single at the time, I would think, how the hell am I ever going to get laid again? If I don't drink, and I mean, I've, anybody listening, really, it, except for if, unless there's a few sober people in here that have figured it out, but anybody else listening right now, I want you to think about the last time that from initial contact to first bone, you made it there without a drink, somewhere in there. So, you know, then that's, that's a scary thing, you know, it's, it's how am I going to connect to somebody intimately without being able to let my guard down and all these other things, but then you kind of... After a while, you start thinking about it. It's like, well, let's make this real basic. How how did my first kiss go? Was I was I fucked up at a bar? No, I was at a skating rink in middle school, dead sober, being normal. How did I ever do that? Are you telling me that fourteen year old me had more balls than twenty nine year old me? No way. That kid was scared of everything, but somehow he did it. Yeah, kissing his pants. Exactly. Going Just in for the freaking snooze. out, but. Shooting your shot, <laughs> and you're never gonna make that shot if you don't shoot. But you know, it it, it all stemmed from fear, it, it from fear of not having friends, fear of not getting to that point. So once you realize that, hey, these things can happen when you're sober. Hey, you know, you can have sex when you're sober, and it, a lot of times it's a lot better. And you, there's also a few things that you don't have to worry about if you're doing that when you're sober. Um, Mr. F- Mr. Floppy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mr. Wiggly. <yeah. laughs> um, you know, and it's it's getting over that mental hump, I think, was the hardest part for me of just being able to be, how can I go be myself? And then I started thinking more and more, you know, was I really being myself if I was out fucked up all the time? Like, is that really me? Or, you know, if I'm waking up to, oh, I did what last night? Like, I'm ashamed of myself. Is that, that doesn't, that's not me. That's not who I want to be. You know, so were you even being yourself in the first place, or can you kind of just start new and go, I'm going to go out and just see what happens. I'm going to sit down and talk. Like, I'm not drinking, but that doesn't mean I can't sit here and, like, be in the same conversation. That doesn't mean I can't relate to the same things. That doesn't mean we don't share the same life experiences. There's just a substance missing from it. Mm-hmm. So that'd be like hanging out with a whole bunch of people that are prescribed Adderall and been like, well, those guys all take Adderall all day, so... I can't talk to them. Well, if you've ever been to a library studying, then there's probably a bunch of people on Adderall. If you've had a conversation there, then you've probably made it through and done a similar thing. It's just a different substance, you know? So uh, bringing it back to, I guess, the beginning of it, it's you're going to be able to do something if you want to do it. If you want to go out, if you want to have fun, you can do it. You just can't listen to that little voice in the back of your head going, oh, you need a drink before you do that. Oh, dude, don't go talk to her because you're going to come off dorky or something else. But there's a beauty that kind of underlines all that, and that's that vulnerability will create trust in just about anybody that you meet. If you can be vulnerable in front of a complete stranger, they are so much more likely to trust you than somebody that comes up to them drunk and is still being themselves as cracking them up and all these other things. But are you really being your complete self or do you kind of have a little shield there or a little bit of a crutch there? So just in case this conversation doesn't want to go the way that I want it to or just in case this topic goes a different direction, well, I can say, oh, well, I was drunk, so that was different. Let me scratch that. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's, 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 it comes down to being brave enough to just take off the training wheels and do it. Because if you flop, you're going to flop. And if you're drunk and you shoot your shot and you miss, you still missed. So what's it matter? You know, and it, it's, it's a lot easier said than done. And it's a lot more simple, you know, once you kind of get to that point. Because everything I just said is actually pretty tough to do initially. But once you get the idea that you can do it, it is more than feasible for anybody out there. That's, that's like a lot of things. The first time you pick up a weight, it's, yeah. it's, it sucks. Right. Right? And it gets easier, obviously, you know, when you pick up heavier weights, mm-hmm. right? Like, essentially taking on more difficult tasks, you know, it, it increases the difficulty. But that first, you know, 20-pound weight that you start curling, you do that for a month, that 20-pound weight isn't going to weigh as much. Right. If you – I know that there's, like, dating coaches – for men that will say, go uh, talk to 30 women or 50 women, whatever it is. And it doesn't matter. They reject you. If they give you their phone number, whatever it may be, just go for it. Because you get rejected once. Shit, I got rejected. That person isn't attracted to me, so I'm not attracted, right? We have have these thoughts. We question ourselves. But then after about the 25th woman (laughs) that turns you down, you know, you might get one phone number and you're like, oh, I'm getting shot down all the time, right? You know, it's like anything that I remember my first managing shift, I was scared shitless, mm-hmm. right? The first staff meeting that I ran, scared shitless. Um, you know, now I walk into my managing shifts and it feels like home. It's my job. It's, it's what I do. It's what I'm comfortable and I think I'm decently okay at. I walk into a staff meeting, you know, you still get that little flight of nervousness anytime you're speaking in front of people but you know besides that little feeling of nervousness it's just confidence it's swag it's i've done this a bunch of times i know what i'm doing you know it's like oh but what if someone speaks up or you know whatever it may be or what if i make a joke that doesn't land no comedians yeah what do you do you go to open mics you make jokes no one laughs (laughs) Like, they, they think you suck, and then you're like, all right, well, that sucked. And then you do 30 of them, and you figure it out. You know, no one uh, – Richard Pryor didn't just step onto the Apollo no. and murder. Hell no. That dude had – Richard Pryor? I don't know this for a fact, but Richard Pryor, Pryor probably sucked for a long time. And then turn that – turn those failures. I mean, you learn so much more when you fail at something. When you suck <laughs> at something, you know exactly what you suck at. When you're sort of good at something right off the bat – you're usually going to end up just mediocre at best. Mm. If, if you pick up something and you're average right off the bat, you might not be driven to get any better at it because you're already like, well, I can do this, so where's he interested in? You get something that you suck at and you're like, I can't, I can't figure any of this out. How can I ever get past this? But then you get one little part of it, one little bit of success, of success after you know trying over and over again like we're talking about. And all of a sudden it becomes, well okay, I got that part, so maybe maybe I could do this this other part. Expanding on You know, and, and I got this other part, so maybe I could do this, and then it turns into, oh, shit, I can master this if I just step back a second and just apply myself and quit being afraid to fail, you know? The best, uh, the best coaches were never starters. Like, they weren't those guys, those all-stars. Right. Like, Tom Brady is the fucking king. Mm-hmm. I don't think Tom Brady would be that good of a coach. You know, if you look at these coaches, you look at their background, they were good, but they didn't have that initial raw talent. Mm-hmm. 
that those all-stars have and expand on, right? Right. So it's the people that had to figure out, they had to suffer the losses, they had to fail, 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 and figure out how to suck less and fail less. They're the ones that become the great coaches because they've seen that whole trajectory. You know, maybe if you're, whether it's a basketball player, I mean, like, so Kobe Bryant was, like, one of the most hardworking people in sports. Mm -hmm. You know, would shoot thousands of shots per day, thousands of shots, you know, so... But, you know, someone who didn't work so, so, so hard to just be on a competition level, they might be like, oh, you just take the ball from the half-court line and you throw it up and then it goes in. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, all right, but how, but how do you do that? And they're right. like, well, you take the ball and then you and then you throw it and then it, and then it goes in. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, maybe okay. there won't, but you talk to someone that had to fight through the trenches, be like, okay, you know, this is how you position this, this is how you do this. This is where you need to be mentally. This is where you have to do this. This is what you have to eat before. These are the exercises that will help you get the ball there. But this is the control that will put it in the net. It doesn't just go wide right by a mile. Like it's that. Definitely. Those losses help you grow, but then they help you help people mm-hmm. that you know are trying yeah. to get there. Yeah, and I mean I've got uh, just to add even a, another metaphor to this. You know, for example, I um, I in school I've always been. When I was growing up, I was a phenomenal student. I, I didn't get my first B until I think halfway through high school, and it was because I hadn't shown up for something. And I never had to try. It was I was just naturally gifted. And granted, you know, middle school, grade school, high school—they're not the hardest things in the world. But I didn't have to study to get good grades, and I, I just never did. And I was very, very fortunate for that. And my little brother, on the other hand, struggled. He had a slight reading disability when he was growing up. He had all these little obstacles that he over had to overcome just to continue living a normal life. And, you know, then he's only, he's two years and eight months younger than me. So we get to college and shit gets real. I have to study now. And I didn't know how to do that. I'd never had to study. I'd never had to work. And, you know, I'm sitting here going through these tests. I'm like, why am I doing so bad? I've never done bad at this. This doesn't even make any sense, you know? And a couple of years later, my brother gets into school and he's just crushing it. You know, he goes on, he's got a master's, he's, he's killing it in the corporate world now. And it took me a long time to realize that I was like, well, maybe it's because he went to an easier college or maybe it's because of this. And after a while, I realized, you know, no, he did better because he had to learn how to get good, you know? And that it all ties back to if you start off when you're really good at something, there's a good chance you're going to end up just okay at it. But if you start off and you want to be good at something, but you suck at it and you keep going, there's a good chance that you're going to end up really good because hard work will always outwork talent and talent doesn't work. You know? I was just thinking about that quote. Yeah. It's it's a, I was waiting for a second. I had to get it right in my head first. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man. It's it's tough, you know, but like anything, you know, you, you do it and you build up. So what are some some changes that you've noticed because you still, you know, I, I see you yeah. out and about quite frequently. Um, you don't DJ as often as you did. You know, right. so that's not the backbone of your income now, but you still do so. You've done so at my spot a few times. Right. Which you I'm know. very thankful for. Uh, yeah, man. yeah, you're my boy. Oh, I love exactly. having you. Um, so what makes it easier? How, what, 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 what sort of alleviates that fear that would cripple a lot of people to just completely stay away in general. You know, if the booze is there, 
I'm gone, right? What helps thing, you not do that? So the biggest thing, so this is outside of DJing, because DJing is a little bit different, but just going out in general for people that you know that want to go out without the booze. The biggest thing that I had to realize, because when I was fresh out of rehab, I was like, I can't go into a bar because I want to drink so goddamn bad right now that if I do, I'm going to end up falling off the wagon. I'll be right back to square one. But once, you know, I kind of got a little comfortable being around people, getting used to being social again and, you know, practicing like we're talking about, practice talking, practice it all the time because there's all day, every day you can practice talking to people. Once you kind of realize that once you're going out to a bar, you're just doing the same thing. You know, you go to work, you don't think, oh, well, I better take a couple shots so it can be funny at work. It's, oh, I'm going to go to work and I'm just going to do this. So once you kind of realize that you're still just talking to people, it's a lot easier. And then the biggest thing that I think kind of clicked for me was that people don't fucking care. Like, they just, people aren't worried whether or not you're drinking. They're Everybody's going to be more wrapped up in their own stuff. And I mean, these days a lot of people are going to be more wrapped up in what's going on in their phone or what's going on with whatever. But I think the biggest part to, you know, if you want to go out and have fun and not drink, the first thing that has to be going through your head is... The people around me, I know that I'm nervous. I know that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of anxious. I'm, I'm a lot more aware of my surroundings right now. I'm a lot more aware of what I'm saying, what I'm doing, how I'm dressed. You don't think about that stuff when you're out drinking. So why would you think about it when you're not? And I get that you want to, but people don't really care. They, they don't give a shit. It, they want to see you. They're your friends. They want to say hi. They don't care that you're sober. They don't. If anything, they'll be supportive. They're not going to say, you're not drinking, so you should stay away from us because this is going to get weird. You know, this isn't tripping mushrooms or you're going to freak them out or anything well, like that. There are, there are people like that. Right. And if they exist, then cut them the fuck out. Exactly. Those people usually have some underlying issues of their own, and those people will have to have you on the same level as them. Otherwise, they can't be comfortable around you. But, yeah, like we're saying, you need to cut them out. They need to cut you out because they need to deal with some issues of their own. But once you realize that... The bouncer at the door, the bartender at the bar, your best friend that you see at the bar doesn't care if you're drinking or not. All they care about is if you're there. It's so much easier to just show up and be like, oh, hey, I'm here. And then you can finally relax and just kind of start living in the moment, you know? And again, a lot of this is easier said than done, but anybody can really do it. It just comes down to not thinking about it too much because you don't want to get out to the bar and say, the whole time in my head, okay, I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking, because then that'll be all you're thinking about. And more than likely, you'll end up drinking, because even though you're thinking about not drinking, you're still letting alcohol run your mind at that time. You know? So, you don't want to sit there and think, well, don't drink, don't look at this drink, I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking. Just find yourself in, just find yourself there, and say, I'm surrounded by people that want me here. I was invited to this place, or I'm surrounded by people that I want to be around. I like these people. I have good memories with these people, whether or not they involved alcohol or whatever. They're still your memories. They're still your people. So I think the biggest thing is just getting out of your head and realizing that nobody really gives a shit if you're shit-faced because the same people that didn't care that you got completely blacked out, threw up on them, tried to make out with their girlfriend, and then ripped their favorite pair of jeans – after causing them to buy you an Uber home the same night, the same people that were cool with that are probably going to be cool with you coming out and just saying, no, no, I'm not drinking today. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because, you know, as I said, there are those people that care and fuck them. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of the people 
are going to be supportive. Uh, I feel like you, you have sort of a built-in little defense. You know, if someone's like, doesn't really know you. You know, if I see you, I'm not going to say, do you want a drink here? Right. Right. For, but for someone that doesn't know your situation in your past, they say, do you want a drink? You say no. And they ask why, which is right. a strange question to ask. Right. Uh, and you say, oh, you know, I have a problem with drinking. Right. Then it's sort of like, oh, okay, oh, for sure. You know, because what sort of monster would be like, mm-hmm. so what, pussy? You know, yeah. have, a, like, have what, a shot. So you can't have just one? Like, yeah. No, actually, I can't. <laughs> so, you know, what monster will do that? But, you know, there are times I am uh, an outgoing, extroverted person. So there, But there are times where I have to wake up early or I'm fasting. Um, you know, I, inter- I intermittently mm-hmm. fast most days. So can't have booze during that time, but okay. I still, you know, want to be out or want to be, you know, want to go say hi to someone or do whatever it may be. And someone, oh, do you want to drink? No, I'm not drinking. Why? No, I just don't feel like it. Right. Then when I say that, oftentimes people are like, oh, come on. Yeah. And, you know, when there's not that clear reason why. Right. Oh, you know, they'll sort of be like, well, well oh, you just want, you're not going to do one. I'll buy you a shot. Like, don't worry about it. You know, and. And it's like, no, dude, like, I, I just, I don't want to drink right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's super frustrating. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, you have that sort of built in, no, and be, oh, okay, cool. But when you don't have that right. very clear, For the average reason, person, yeah. then they're like, well, what's wrong with you? If I say, oh, I'm fasting, they're like, oh, health conscious. Yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm fucking health conscious, mm-hmm. jackass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, and, for that and for that situation, I think, you know, people want people to be doing what they're doing, you know, and especially in a group setting. So if you go out on a pub crawl, and this you can kind of relate this to group psychology and the group mentality, most pub crawls that you find will be themed. Hmm. So people will go out and they will all dress the same because you're going out in a group mentality. So you're acting as one, essentially just this one big mob of people doing the same thing. And I think a bit of that psychology still applies to even when you're going out with three people, three people that or you're going out with three people. So three out of four people that you're with are drinking and you being the one that's not, that I think that there's still that social inclusion, exclusion psychology behind it of, Oh, well, why aren't you doing the same things that we are? But in the same way, it's also, oh, well, I'm not doing this for the same reason that I also worked out at 5 a.m. this morning and you didn't, mm-hmm. you know? And I think there, there's definitely a there's definitely a thin line that you have to walk between not offending somebody and being like, no, I don't want to drink or, you know, I don't want to come off as a snob, obviously, you know, and I'm sure you don't want to do that, you know, when you're fasting and stuff like that. So it can be, it can be a little bit trickier in that scenario, but I think when it comes down to it, if you can diffuse them by saying, look, I like, I don't really feel like drinking. Oh, why not? Just come on. Be like, no, I'm good. But like, dude, I, I just want, I'm here to hang out with you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not here because there's booze here. I'm here because I want to hang out with you. And I think once you find yourself going out for those reasons, as opposed to going out for just a drink, you'll actually find yourself in a happier spot. And again, this isn't me just preaching because I'm a recovering alcoholic, like, oh, go sober or anything. No, not by any means. I'm saying if you go out, go out because you want to be in that environment. You want to be with those friends. You want to be with the people that you're surrounding yourself with. Not because you want, you want the booze to be 
a side note. You want that to be an afterthought. You don't want your friends to be an afterthought and the booze be the main theory. So the second somebody starts saying, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. It's like, well, are you here to hang out with me or are you here to drink and I just happen to be here? Yeah. Am you I know? just a support system yeah. for you drinking or right. like, do you want to see like, me? Do, do you just need me here so you don't feel like a crazy person drinking by yourself because like, well, cause nobody wants to drink alone either. But, you know, if you can kind of find a way to say that to somebody like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here because I want to see you. A lot of times that's just going to make them feel good enough to be like, oh, well, I appreciate that, dude. Yeah. Fuck it. No, I'm like, don't, don't worry about it, dude. Drink whenever you feel like, like, whenever you were planning on drinking today or whatever. I think that's the best way to defuse that, personally. Yeah, it's like, you know, so many things, they can become destructive when initially, you know, they don't have to be so. Correct. You know, they work, you know, working out could be the same thing. You know, so many things can fall into that same category. But yeah, it's, it's not don't go out and drink. I mean, that's, if you don't have a problem with it, then you're fine. Oh my God! Right. Yes. I, I like your I like your point of it. You know, because I've always thought, you know, if you, if you have a drinking problem, then you know, you shouldn't go out and drink. You know, that's right. that's sort of obvious. But I, I like your your note about why are you going out? Don't make oh I want to go out and get fucked up. You know, with my friends. Yeah. You no, know, change that to I want to go out with my friends. Maybe I and do get fucked up. up. Yeah. Right. Right. It, 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 I promise you, no matter who you are, if you adapt that mindset to any social situation that you're putting yourself in, you are going to have so much more fun because there is substance behind that. And substance is in there is subs, there's substantiality behind the code <laughs> and not, not a substance that you're doing with your friends. Although that can be involved too. But I mean, it, you're just, you'll always be happier when you do something for the right reason. And, you know, this kind of brings a little topic up that I wanted to touch on. And that's when I first, so I, this is my second bout of sobriety. My first one, I made it through a year and seven months without drinking. Towards the end, I was slipping a little bit. I would have like a mini shooter here or there because I was starting to lose the foundation that I had built my sobriety on. But my biggest thing then was... I, I prided myself on the idea that I can go out, I can DJ, I can do all these other things, and I can have just as much fun as you, but I don't have to drink. And that in and of itself is really fulfilling, and people would admire that. So I'm not telling anybody listening to this to go do that, but what I would challenge you to do is try to do it once or twice, and just see where it leaves your mind afterwards. Say, I want to go out and have fun tonight, I don't want to drink. Not because I think I have a drinking problem, not because I think I have an issue, not because, you know, of something else going on, but I want to see if I can do it. Challenge yourself, you know, step up, challenge yourself to say, Hey, I want to go have fun and see if I can do this without doing this. Because how often do you find yourself challenging yourself to do something fun? Most of the time when you find yourself challenging yourself, it's, I want to see if I can go six months without eating bread. That's not fun. Yeah. Or I want to see... Yeah, or I want to see if I can challenge myself to make it to the gym at 5 a.m. Granted, working out can be kind of fun, whatever, but getting up at 5 a.m. is fucking, it sucks. But when was the last time you challenged yourself to have fun? When was the last time you said, I'm going to go, and probably a shitty example, but I'm going to go have a picnic with my girlfriend and have a blast completely sober. And I feel that we kind of we lose sight of that stuff, but 
And again, I'm not telling you do this all the time. I'm not saying, you know, adapt this into your daily routine or your weekly routine, whatever. Just every once in a while, see if you can just say, hey, I want to go try to have a great time and just not drink because I want to see if I actually like these people around me. Because, I mean, not to say it's going to happen, but there is a chance that you're going to find out that the people you've been surrounding yourself with, you don't really like that much. You know, and hopefully that's not the case for you. Hopefully you realize that you love the people that you're surrounding yourself with even more. But regardless, it's either going to leave you with the, oh, I should change this about myself or holy shit, I love my friends. These guys are awesome. I know that no matter what's going on, I'm going to be cool with them because I can go do this without having to use the social crutch or without having to use the social lubricant to get me there. So, I mean, it's just, I think it'd be a good, it's a good exercise for him. So what would be your tips for people out there that aren't the biggest drinkers, they're not the biggest partiers in the world? Sorry, my dog's on the couch. Uh, You know, if they're not the biggest partiers, uh, but they're sort of afraid to go out. You know, I know people that, you know, don't want to go out because everyone else is drinking and they'll feel pressured, they'll Mm -hmm. feel judged if they're not drinking. You know, if there's someone like that that is outgoing, but doesn't sort of fall into that category, you know, if they if they don't really drink too much, what would be your advice to them, you know, in that situation? I would, my advice to them would be, A, keep it simple. Remember, you're only going to do something because it's fun, but I think the biggest thing to keep in mind is that the people you're going out with, if you're worried about the social, the social aspect of it, all these other people are just as scared as you are. And that's why they're drinking. Because if they weren't, they wouldn't be. If if that were the case, then they wouldn't be using the social lubricant to get themselves into a situation. And I am by no means bashing people for using that. Because I swear to God, if I could drink normally, I would do it all the time. I love it. But I, I just happen to not be able to. But just remember that when you're going out with all these other people, they're, they're using a crutch to get themselves into the social mentality, into the social space. So if you can keep in mind that, like, the best friend that you're talking to that's having this really deep conversation with you or whatever is only able to do that because of this little booster that they're using, whether it be drugs or alcohol or whatever. It's going to be a lot easier for you to realize like, hey, well, I don't really need this as much. I don't necessarily need to do this to talk to them. This person is just afraid to talk to me sober as I am to talk to them sober, which is why they're not doing it sober. So if you remember that I think everybody else is probably just as scared, if not more afraid than you are, you'll be fine. Just don't overthink it. Remember, you're there to have fun. If you find yourself not having fun, get out. If you find yourself having a really, really profound, profoundly bad experience, take it for what it is. It was a bad experience and figure out why it was bad. Figure out who, what about it made it bad. If there were people in it that were causing it to be that way. And hell, use it to better your life because you can. You know, it's it's a it's like a litmus test for if your social surroundings are appropriate for your lifestyle. Essentially, it, it, just don't overthink it. Remember, you don't have to be the most confident person in the room. You don't have to have the most swag. You just have to be there. And if the people that you're around like you, they won't give a shit if you're drinking or not. They just want you to have fun with them. So oh. have fun with it. Oh yeah, that's great advice, man. <clears throat> so we're uh, getting towards the end of our time here. So just a last uh, few questions. Um, I don't think that you would get into this business, but if you were to open up a bar, what yeah. would you name it? 
Girthquake. Girthquake. <laughs> Is that the name of something <laughs> else that you already have? <laughs> yeah, that's the name of a USB drive. <laughs> uh, I was thinking something the, else. The Phallus Palace. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I haven't thought about it. What would I name it for? I would name it... Um, it would be something along those lines. Something something with a play on words like that, but with a very, very much more marketable name than Girthquake or the Phallus Palace. Girthquake or Phallus I got one for you. That's a tough one. What's that? Aaron's Ale House. Aaron's Ale House. That would see it be a lot, a lot closer to something like that. <laughs> And then I would just have a room in there called the Bells Mouth. No, the Bells Mouth. Glory Hole Room. Or Aaron's Tap Room or something like that. Nice. Uh, so anyone that's listening that wants to reach out, whether it's to you know, say that they enjoy the podcast, whether they want to book you for a gig, or they you know, want to reach out you know, in regards to anything, being or covering alcohol, anything in that realm, how do people find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram, Aaron Jenner Mead, exactly how... It's spelled A-A-R-O-N, Jenner, just like the Jenners, M-E-A-D, um, on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. Just look at me up. I'm sure if you're friends with Jake on this, you'll be able to find me on there. Um, I would say those are the best two ways to find me. Not shoot me an email. Aaron J. If you have questions about sobriety and actually want to get into something, shoot me an email at AaronJMead at Gmail. Um, I'm not going to put my phone number out there, but... <laughs> Or that's me with an E on the end. M-E-A-D. No, no, M-E-A-D. No E in the end. M-E-A-D. Right. Good. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I know. I could tell when I read my chest with the roof. Shit. Yeah, you're <laughs> in my phone with an E. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad I know that now so yeah. I can spell it correctly on the podcast. <laughs> no worries. No worries.